Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I am joined this week by co-host Pete Wall. Yes, and we have guests. We have uh, Long Ashton. Is it Long Ashton Cinema, James? It is, yeah. Well, we're called LA Cinema, but yeah, Long Ashton Cinema. So Long Ashton Community Cinema Supremo. Is that a fair way to describe you, James? Oh, I don't know about that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll take that, Paul. Take, take it for the show. And we're also joined by uh, Zig Bingham from Babylon Undead. Both guys have been on the show before, so welcome back, guys. Uh, how are you both? I'm good. Enjoying the uh, the time off, being furloughed from our cinema. It's uh, it's it, it's good. James, are you well? Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. Ditto, same here. I'm good. Fairly optimistic at the, at the moment and enjoying the time off and catching up on lots of films. So... Couldn't be happier to be Good. honest. I'm, yeah, I'm slightly jealous because I'm still working. And and Pete, last but not least, other co-host. How are you, sir? I'm appalled. That was like the worst <laughs> intro I've ever heard in my life to anything. So I've switched off. I don't know about anybody else. But no, uh, yeah, I'm doing all right, man. Like we're we're doing a show that's a bit different to a normal show today, as is apparent by having not one but two great guests. And this is has meant as a knock-on effect that I think I've been lazier than ever going in on this one. <laughs> so we're going to have a bit of a change to the structure, right, Paul? We're not going to do the regular flow of sections on the show that people are used to. We're going to kind of go back to a, a format that we have used in the past. First act, second act, third act. In the first act, we want to talk a little bit about how cinema closures have affected uh, film-watching habits. This is particularly prescient given the guests that we've got on the show today. Then we're going to have a second act where we're just going to blast out a load of popcorn reviews and talk about what we've been watching and generally catch up film-wise. And then, very exciting, we've got a quiz for the first time ever on Strangers in the Cinema, some 172 episodes in, we've got a quiz. So that's something to look forward to. Is, right, it, Paul? is it film-related questions, or are you going to completely catch us off guard with food and drink? Uh, it's a lifestyle <laughs> quiz, Paul. It's lifestyle. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, yeah, I guess, as, as Pete said, that we'll go straight into the first act. So you guys both work for cinemas. Am I correct in, in that? Yeah, assumption? you are correct. Yeah, well, that, that is right, yeah. You are. So... Yeah, so I mean, we were chatting a little bit, kind of off air, about about what impact that this has had on your film, or certainly sort of your film viewing habits, and certainly other people's film viewing habits. I mean, where do, where do you see the cinema going? I bet. I mean, it's a pretty big question, but yeah, kind of jump in whenever you want. Like, how do you think it's impacted? How do you think it will impact film going in the future? How has it impacted so far? Did anyone jump in that, that wants to open up? Um, I, I think there's going to be a sea change going back. I think the genie's been let out of a out of the bottle. Um, Amazon has been doing. Um, they've been calling the premiere releases. I think they should have just gone like cinema releases or cinema online or something like that. And they they just sort of missed the boat a little bit on that one. But they've been showing films that were either shown in the cinemas just before the lockdown or were due to be uh, shown during the lockdowns, but the ones that haven't been uh, cancelled, you know, like um, Bloodshot, Emma, um, Invisible Man, etc., etc., charging 15 quid for them, which is basically the price of a movie ticket most places, you know, maybe five pounds more. And um, as we've been talking off camera, if you've got yourself a decent sound system and a decent TV, especially with the 4K HDR variety, you're getting a picture that's anything as good as being projected in the cinema or better and they're not the only ones doing it I mean they're the first ones out Universal basically the first ones out of the block but Paramount have uh, released um, a few months before the Covid 
thing, they released a v a virtual movie going experience. They announced it where you put your VR headset in, you go into a, a room that has set performances of 100 people or more, you sit in a theater with people, you can chat if you want or not, you can block people if you don't want to listen to other people, and you can watch a shared communal experience, which kind of blew my mind. Haven't tried it. Warners were talking about it two years ago at CinemaCon, streaming straight, um, straight to your home. So I think it's gonna come. And it, I think this is just them dipping the toes in the water. It's a good excuse. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, James? Uh, I think it could go sort of one or two ways, to be honest. Um, I think one of the, the big problems, if you take the, the city we live in as, as Bristol alone, you've probably got 10, 11 cinemas, most of which are multiplex uh, cinema chains. I think the problem is, is pretty much all those cinemas are pretty much showing the, the same sort of content. Do we need, for example, that amount of cinemas um, to start with? Um, and I think one of the things that the cinemas has failed to do with the sort of advent of all the streaming channels, such as your Netflix, your movies that we were talking about earlier, Disney Plus, I think one thing they've kind of failed to do is with the high-end ticket price that they're charging to make it more of an experience and I think some of the cinema chains that we've worked for not, not naming any I think one thing they've kind of failed to do is make it more of an experience more of a night out to me go into some of these cinema chains I know you're there to, to sit down and enjoy a film but I think the experience could be far better than pay than what you're paying for the the 10 pounds i think it could be more of an interesting experience from a service point of view and i think that's one thing that they failed miserably to do is you know just offer a more enjoyable experience than just going and sitting down and watching the film does that does that kind of where, make sense where do you where do you stand james yeah I, I'm totally with you i think yeah you need to add something to it especially when they're charging the premium price and to get people out of the house where do you stand on on zig's comment about kind of audio and visual quality in cinemas because i i would agree with you zig i mean i'm lucky enough to have a to have a pretty big setup at home myself um and yeah i would say at times certainly picture quality on a lot of the netflix stuff especially the 4k stuff is superior to the kind of to the quality that you can get in the cinema at the moment james do you think people sh they should be investing in better kit do you like without, do you see where i'm coming from or well i think the way to go with with cinemas and some of the cinema chains already have this in place is laser projection but i think one of the problems that have been highlighted by some of the well-known film critics and i know mark commode's been a, a big critic of this is that a lot of the cinemas now don't employ a technical projectionist with the advent of um digital so that there's there's no one really trained in that area to do the light meter test to, ch to check the sound and so on and mm. i think in fairness and zig a vouch for me <laughs> are one of the few cinemas that do um employ projectionists and technical managers i think most of the cinema chains now don't they expect some of the management staff to do that and obviously they don't have maybe the technical knowledge or capacity to to screen things as they should be presented. Mm. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with James. Is that there's a a I think a, la a lack of 
care about the product or the experience, as you said yourself, it's not. We're not making it easy for people to come to watch the cinema. It's almost like we're taking the customer for granted, like, oh, they're always come to the cinema. And I think a lot of chains are in danger of doing that. There's a lot of chains that have woken up that are not doing that, are providing a really nice experience. Um, I think every man here in Bristol and um, Tivoli and Bath are good examples of the sort of boutique cinema that are, are catering. Uh, Danger of repeat myself for the experience and making it a, a proper nice night out. Um, but yeah, technically, I mean, how many cinemas have HDR projectors? Well, not many. But I just, certainly, I can not say many. my local cinema, the pitch quality is definitely better at home. Do you think it's a case of the fact then that cinemas have just got used to the fact that it used to be that you can only watch new release films at the cinema and people then have to come to us? Do you think that's that's where? Do you think it's a sort of complacency set in that they just that it's been that way for so many years? that they've kind of got just taken that for granted a bit. I think or... they've got lazy, slightly complacent. I know that that's a little bit of a generalisation, maybe. I think they've been far too reliant on the big Hollywood blockbuster or blockbusters released. So they, they're looking for films like your Star Wars franchise, your Marvel films to, to make them the money. I think they've um, not been particularly good at showcasing... Uh, lesser-known independent films and the likes of the watershed cinemas, that's their market, and they have obviously do very well. They know their market. Um, every time I go to the watershed, it's, it's packed compared to the multiplex cinemas, which seem to be quite empty. Um, maybe I just go to the wrong films, I don't know. And uh, I think one of the other issues is... Um, a lot of these cinemas have these deluxe business models charging high-end prices, £10 plus for a cinema ticket, and yet the staff they employ are on these zero hours, low wage, low wages, minimum wages. To me, it kind of seems a little bit absurd that how can you provide a deluxe level of service when you're not offering your staffs contracts you're not offering them decent money or a prospect of building their career up within the company maybe that's a little bit of a separate issue to what we're talking about the future of cinema with technology but i think that's a another issue from my point of view no but i think that's i think that's a fair point and i think you will find not just in cinemas but in the wider i think this the covid situation i think is highlighted now people are looking at how companies have treated their staff during it um and i think that will but that certainly is a factor on across the board in a number of businesses that people will look harder where they put their money now um but that that, that does digress a little bit but I'm, I'm totally with you pete any thoughts where, where do you think this will end up before we go to whether we think they'll reopen fully or not pete where, do, where what do you think yeah i mean just to i guess chime in on a couple of things that people said which i agree with pretty much which are you know how can you expect people to stay loyal to the multiplex if like you pointed out paul with your setup at home and many others as well maybe mine's going to catch up in the next year or so uh when you can go home and have hdr for example technology on your television and a beautiful image that isn't replicated in your local multiplex at the same time when you ha encounter tech difficulties in a multiplex cinema and no one knows how to remedy <laughs> those difficulties within the cinema this seems 
seems absurd because I know you and I, Paul, and I expect the other guys as well, given their you know track records of working in this field. I'm so um, like pernickety about detail in terms of sound quality and image quality at the moment I can barely look at my television because the panel's starting to go and it's causing me untold distress but when you get problems in the cinema we've been there Paul together and separately you get situations where you call on someone to remedy the problem and they'll either give you a sort of fudged answer which is completely removed from reality or they just won't know what to do so then you start to feel like what why is it that you pay a premium for this service and then and then just to add on to that what what James said I think is entirely true that how can you expect staff to give a deluxe service if you're paying them you know the minimum that you possibly can I think like a lot of employers across the spectrum not just within cinema of course companies try to get away with leaning on human decency the the fact that human beings put in low paying or zero hour roles will just do the right thing will go the extra mile which will give that special service but at a certain point we've all been in positions like that and thought that's my limit this is how much of me i'm willing to give for the amount of pay and the conditions that you're offering for me in return so i think that there is a a, a real fine balance here between a point at which Uh, the cinemas remain uh, an ongoing concern and they tip over into being emptier like James was describing when you go along to a screening and it seems like a sort of dying industry a little bit at least in terms of some of the bigger names that we won't necessarily name but people know who we're talking about right Uh, yeah when they do their job as they should do it that's the bare minimum you expect for what you're playing for what you're paying excuse me but if they fall below that even a little bit you're going to start to look for another option. Do you, do you think maybe they've lost focus because the films, I mean, if you look at, I've been doing a bit of reading on it and I've always been quite interested in it, just having, having never worked in it, but the fact that they the, the films aren't really the profitable aspect of the business for them, are they? Would that be a correct that be a correct thing to say in terms of how much the films cost for them to distribute? They almost, they, would, would you say that's fair? But that, like, for example, so last time I went to, to my local cinema, um, and normally I like them, don't get me wrong, unlike my hatred for Cineworld, which is well known to everyone who listens to the show, I thought I'd get that in. Um, like you, you go, you go to see a film. I think I went to see Bumblebee, and the fact that even in my lifetime, I can remember when trailers used to be shown in the full screen aspect ratio. They didn't used to be bordered, and I used to like that. And then the other day, when I went to see Bumblebee at the cinema, like I don't know whether it's a button. You guys probably know better than me, but the film didn't fill out, didn't pull out and fill the whole screen. Now, there's no way Bumblebee was shot in an artistic aspect ratio and was ever meant to be bordered in a cinema screen. But it's little things. It's little things like that where I just go, what are you doing? Like, surely, like, if you want people in, you need to be spend, paying absolute attention to get in the, the the film. When you go to the cinema, a film, the film screening should be perfect. I think in Bumblebee's case, Bumblebee was actually a weird aspect ratio. The one thing with digital is a lot of people are coming up with their own aspect ratio. And we had a problem with Bumblebee. I'm sure it was Bumblebee where it was basically flat like a TV screen, it was a really, it was a weird That's the one I didn't complain about, so I'm happy but, about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally, I totally get it, and it is basically just a, a switch, or or whether it's virtual, digital, or person flicking a switch, but most of the time it's a computer. Um, it's it's a sorry state of affairs. It's, it's, not, it's not what it used to be, and um, I think people see that, and I think also people um, can can see they're getting a, a in their minds at least a like for like product at home now wait and 
they got to wait three months for it to come out. They don't have to worry, especially with a lot of the 15s with the horror films, because that's a big market for us. Kids films, horror films, and the tentpole movies, that seems to be it for us as a mainstream audience. I don't know about James's cinema, but that's ours. Um, and most of the people coming to see 15 horror films are under 15. So they'll just watch it at home because their parents will, will allow them or they can go go and stream it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think the other thing as well to keep in mind that how willing, this is the question, how willing are people going to be to be socialising after this? Will they want to sit in a room with a bunch of other people? Will this, will this whole experience distance people from each other or will they be, let's just go down the bar and get pissed up? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair question. It and also I think the way. other thing we discussed when we were off air is it, say, okay, say... Let's say best case scenario, this this thing clears up. This thing clears up fairly quickly, and the cinemas reopen in say two months' time. Which, let's be honest, is absolute. I would say absolute best case scenario. What are they going to show at this point? Because the the big tempo releases have all been pushed back. So if they do reopen, what what do they show? Any any thoughts on that? And so they're going to be closed and not having any income. And when they reopen, where's the content coming from? Do you think they should maybe show? I don't know. I mean, I know they have. I was looking at IMDb. Just the other day, um, the film scheduled releases, and I think the next set of scheduled cinema releases is in May, early May. Well, I can't see the cinemas being back in operation that early. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're going to be looking at late summer, perhaps, maybe later. But again, there's even if you look at those releases, I don't see anything that's going to pull in. A big a big audience and I think Zig kind of hit the nail on the head I think will people want to go back to the cinema with with what's happened with this pandemic will people want to um, be enclosed in a cinema with with lots of people and take that risk I mean yet again this is another example of how South Korea <laughs> have got it right and we've got it wrong because uh, not only have they reported what eight new cases in the last day or so in total but also um, in South Korea very common across uh, other countries in Asia I believe as well but you can go to DVD rooms instead of cinemas do you know this concept? I'm sure I've talked about it on the show. You know what? You've, ne you've never mentioned point. this on the show. You have mentioned Korea before, but you've never mentioned this uh, specifically. Uh, so so it's it's a, just a really cool thing, like as a feature of, of living there that I really miss, which is um, that you go to a DVD room. It's kind of like when we used to go to uh, Blockbusters or something like that. But you go in, you take your video, your DVD, your Blu-ray off the shelf. Uh, you pay a few quid uh, equivalent in Korean one at the time uh, for that. And then there's like a bank of Blu-ray players, DVD players, and your guy behind the desk will put the film into the player. This links to a specific room. And then you go to a room with your date or your friend or whoever you're with. You've got your own sofa. Often they have things like force feedback back in the sofa uh, in the past probably not now you could smoke in all of them you can take your own snacks in there or you can buy extra snacks when you arrive at the venue so it's like a cinema experience but so boutique to the extent that it's like a, a living room outside of your own house which you might say why would you do that you could just you know have the film on at your own house but obviously you've got to remember some people don't have great setups at home some people maybe can't hang out with their friends in their front room all the time without causing 
problems in the household. So like if we had that going back out of this sort of pandemic to something like normality, you could go hang out in the in the Blu-ray room with your with your boys or whatever or your your girlfriend and and have a lovely old time. But yeah, I think you guys are right. I can't see people jumping back into packed out screenings of films with that anxiety hanging over everyone about the situation that we're all going through and that we will have been through by the time we get to the other corner. question I think I had for you guys is is what do you think this does to the potential 3 month window between cinema exhibition and home release because I know I know Cineworld famously fell out with Disney I think over Alice in Wonderland because uh, Disney wanted to reduce the window for home release on Alice in Wonderland do you think this gives a lot of power back to the studios to go actually we want this window reduced if you still want the films do you think that could it, be a problem and going it's forward it's up in the air it, it, anyone's guess really I mean it could it could be it could be that a lot of the cinema chains fail and someone like Disney or Amazon moves in and actually picks them up and then ties them in maybe I can see like an Amazon Prime card where you can rent your movie online or you can go to the movie theatre and you can use the same card and you pay 10, 15 quid a month or whatever it is for your Amazon Prime card and you can go and, and do it that way. Kind of like they were, they've been testing with Whole Foods in, in America where it's completely digital. You literally just go to a vending machine, pick what you want or it's got little tags on it. So you just pick up a bag of popcorn and it knows what you're buying and there's probably one person running the whole cinema. Um, I, I, it's everything is so up up in the air at the moment. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. James, any thoughts on that one on the, the three month window? Or? It's a hard one to say. I think the the advantage that studios have got at the moment with the streaming platforms is for them. It's so it must be a lot cheaper, and more viable to just get their product streamed online rather than send out a digital hard drive and have to mass produce that and send it out to, to all the cinemas to, to screen it. So I would have thought for them, the, the kind of digital streaming platform was, was more viable. Um, but for me, um, as I said earlier on, I, I think one of the big cinema chains, the longer this goes on, I think will go bust. Um, I think it's inevitable that one or two will go. Which ones? I I don't know, but my bets is that Cineworld might be the the first one to. Is that because they're the biggest? You think, and they've potentially got so many sites as compared to other people, or? Well, they're they're FTSE listed, aren't they? So they um, they trade on the the stock market. Um, they've already made a, a statement some about a month ago saying that they think they'll be in dire straits the longer this goes on, and that they probably will go bust. They had some um, a big backlash over the way the the staff were were treated. Again, that was um, picked up in the in the media. I just have a feeling that one of the big ones is going to go for for, and I know it could be the one that I work for, but. I just have a feeling that Cineworld might be. Yeah, the yeah. First didn't one. didn't Cineworld, as the parent company of Picture House, do something like lay everybody off and then say we'd be happy to have you back, like in the future? We're just not going to yeah, pay they, you. In they between. did originally, and is then they um, backtracked when the um, government made the announcement about the um, the yeah the payment scheme of yeah the eighty percent payment scheme. Um, and then they mm. backtracked. In fairness, the newest the newest cinema in Bath did the same thing to its staff. I won't say which one that is, but yeah, the newest cinema in Bath did exactly the same thing. Which yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, for for by the way, Paul, for, for sort of skirting around naming cinema branches, we've done an absolutely terrible job because I think we've named most of yeah. them at this point. So what I, the hell? I think all the cinema chains basically did it um, before the announcement came. Whether that was like a week, two weeks, or a few days. Um, Every single cinema chain that I know of 
has done that um, because everyone's on the zero hour contract and as James was saying before there's no there's no respect for the staff because mm. you know if you don't like it go and find another job and that seems to be a major problem that maybe will change coming out of this and maybe people are like well things can change so quickly why why bother I'm going to do something else um, I don't know it's it, it, it's crazy times that's what I can say it's just absolutely crazy yeah you you better you better dig in and start selling stuff on the dark web because there aren't <laughs> yeah. going to be any other jobs left are there so, so on so trying to end on a positive note what what would you like to see cinemas do what could cinemas do for you obviously it enhance the experience is there any like a wider range of films what do you guys think would 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 help like some positive ideas for for any cinema managers, any managers of major cinema chains listening, uh, what what should they do? <laughs> I think they should take a leaf out of Curzon's book. I mean, I've already mentioned this to my company, and they told me to bugger off, so they might be looking into it now. Um, but uh, Curzon have uh, Curzon Online, so if you miss your movies that they're distributing, like at the Watershed or at Cur- or you don't have Curzon next to you, you can go online and and stream the movie to your home. And I think. Any of the major chains that start doing that are going to protect themselves. I think that's going to be part of it. I think you're going to see more day and day releases um, because the demand is clearly there. There are some films I want to see them on a big screen and other films I don't care too much, but I still want to see them. Um, and uh, quite frankly, the stuff that I've been reviewing films on for Amazon and Netflix and their model is fantastic. In the cinemas for two weeks and then it's on Netflix. And sometimes they overlap. And that's been great because I've been missing some stuff in the cinema that I wanted to review and I just switch on Netflix and I have a better view and experience, which is really embarrassing because I run a cinema. <laughs> James, any, any thoughts, any positive positive feedback for him? It's, it's interesting that you've kind of mentioned this because a couple of months ago we were asked to, as management staff, to offer ideas in ways that the, the cinema could generate more money because... Obviously, there's there's more competition now in Bristol alone. Um, footfall's fallen. Not not as many people are coming to as they did back in the the day when it first opened. And my suggestion was, I would like to see a cinema like almost operate like a, a London cinema. Um, so a decent curator program in a similar way to the to the watershed. But I can't see any reason why uh, cinema with brand can't get in guests, filmmakers, cinematographers, and and do Q and A's and get a really interesting program together. Um, there's a cinema in London called the the Prince Charles, and I'd imagine there's loads of cinemas in London that do similar things where they just offer an interesting themed seasons of programs looking at specific filmmakers or genres and getting the guests in, the big names, to promote and sell their movies. And I think um, it's the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest cinema in Bristol. Yeah, so things you can't get at home. Doing. So no matter what setup you've got, you can't get a director's Q&A in your home and you can't, that. yeah. So get get people out with, you know, make the cinema an experience again, I guess, is where you're coming from. Yeah, and a, a couple of people, a couple of my colleagues said, well, you know that would cost you a fortune but i don't see that it would do um I f- you know these kind of people are they're wanting to sell their films they're wanting to promote themselves i think getting good guests in would not be particularly expensive 
Um, I think some of the um, suggestions that were made by other kind of members of staff about putting interactive video game space and a casino and things like that, I think in the long term that would be expensive. But I think keeping it simple, a decent film programme, doing something different to the other multiplex cinema chains is the way forward. But that, with the advent of the, the current pan pandemic, that might obviously change mm. things Pete, altogether. Any, any thoughts? Because a lot, a lot of, yeah, I was going to say that like a lot of the innovation or new ideas that we've seen recently have been more about like how you see the film rather than what it is that you see. So you could see the same sort of, um, you know, third rate bit of entertainment garbage. But if your seat moves and vibrates and swivels and water sprays in your face, for example, an experience that is not without its merits, but like the innovation seems to be on that end rather than what you're talking about James which is more a, a real care and real focus on the things that are being shown and how it is that they're being presented and who it is who's involved in their presentation and and it does bring you to a very sort of easy but also quite realistic conclusion that some of the chains do not give a fuck <laughs> when it comes to actually linking the the presentation of a creative product with uh, like real sense of being a provider of creativity. Really, you know, some of the chains are popcorn vendors who get people to buy the popcorn because they put on a thing that the people want to come there to see and, and not much more than that, which is a shame. We can all whinge and moan about that. But at the end of the day, I still hope, conversely, that the big bloated multiplex cinema that is across the road from my house remains open. But I think what you guys have said today are all very valid points to the extent that if they don't adapt, if they haven't died already as a result of COVID-19, they're going to die in the not too distant future. I, It seems like we think uh, as a consensus in this group anyway. Do you agree, Paul? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, th I think, I mean, we, this isn't the first time we've talked about the, the future of cinema and stuff like that with how good streaming's been. I think the first film for me that blew my head off in terms of its presentation was Okja on Netflix because it had Dolby Vision, uh, it had Dolby Atmos, and it sounded, and again, on a decent setup, it sounded and looked incredible. And at that point, I was thinking, actually, the more and more people that get these setups, and ultimately, like, more and more people, I, I can tell you from the job I do, the average the average TV size that is sold now is getting bigger and bigger by the week. Um, a 55-inch screen isn't that unusual for people to have in their homes anymore. So they're getting bigger and bigger screens. Sound systems are becoming more and more prevalent. So I think before this, I think cinemas were kind of a bit worried about streaming. I think after this, I think, yeah, they, they, they definitely need to sharpen their act up, I think. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess uh, we've probably uh, exhausted the sort of main topics of conversation as they pertain to the rather depressing situation that we're in relating to cinema uh, screenings of, of movies that we all obviously love um, and just hope for better in the future. So talking about better in the future, let's get out of this section. We'll bounce back in just a moment after a break with the section formerly known as Popcorn Movies and this time with a little bit more uh, input from other voices right after this. So we are back, act two, popcorn movies. Usually this is uh, Paul and I bouncing back and forth, reviewing movies that we've seen in the last seven days. We're going to do it a bit different this week because we're going to go person to person round the group and just do a bit of a summary of some of the, maybe the highlights of our viewing over the last, could be week, could be couple of weeks. There are no hard and fast rules, to be honest with you. This show is a little bit thrown together. So, uh, 
Paul, do you want to kick off? What have you been watching recently? I'll kick off. So, yeah, it's kind of topical. I think before I'd mentioned I'd watched Contagion. Since then, I rewatched um, Outbreak. Um, do, you remember the, do you remember this classic with Dustin Hoffman with the little monkey? Yeah, the little monkey that um, infects everyone. Um, I remember quite liking Outbreak when I was much younger, back in 1995. Um, and fortunately, I was mistaken. Um, I'll be honest. Um, it's certainly entertaining in parts, but the whole thing is so dialed up to 11, it's impossible to take this film seriously. Everyone shouts at everyone else for the entirety of the film. There is a gratuitous amount of helicopter porn in this. It's like they've just gone to get a loaf of bread, so they get a helicopter. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, the whole thing, they, they try and make this kind of, half of it tries to be sort of grounded and scientific, and the other part is everyone getting helicopters, helicopters fight, facing off against, like, massive planes. It does, however, what I will say in Outbreak's defence, it does, however, have the most dramatic infographic, I think, ever committed to film. I don't know if, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but when they, when they warn about, when they warn about, about the spread of the virus it's basically there's some red dots in the cities that it's in within 48 hours the entirety of america is red <laughs> like, so yeah i i can't say i loved outbreak this time around it entertained me um but probably for the wrong reason so if you want to laugh check it out if not um yeah it doesn't stand up it's it's no contagion we'll, we'll put it that way <laughs> paul, paul just a just a heads up for the uh, faithful listener are you going to now review two more films also called outbreak uh, not this week, no. Okay, that will <laughs> be, be sweet relief. Be know. What, so what last, else have you got, man? Yeah, last week I did three films called Bait, uh, for anyone that was interested. Um, so yeah, check out the Bait episode. Um, the other one I've got, the other one I wanted to talk about, I finally caught up with um, Guy Ritchie's Man from Encore, um, which I'd be, a few people have told me was actually pretty good. Um, and I So I kind of went, I don't normally like Guy Ritchie, I'll be honest, and I went into this expecting your, your typical Guy Ritchie over-directed, over-edited nonsense, really. Uh, for me, it started surprisingly well. I thought the cast were quite likable. We've got Army Hammer and Henry Cavill in here. But then, I don't know, for me, this this didn't have the brains of something like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and didn't have the big action of Mission Impossible. So I don't really know what Man from Uncle was trying to achieve. I think at times it thought it was a lot cleverer than it did. The cast likable enough, but it just felt... It was it was fine, but the action scenes felt a little bit flat. The the twist was sort of obvious a mile off. But and the only, well, I guess the one positive I'll take from it, it looked really nice. And actually, it was a surprisingly restrained effort from Guy Ritchie, who is a director who normally throws far too much Guy Ritchie on the, on the screen. So um, it was nice to see that, but I, I didn't love it overall. Um, what else have I got? Oh, Platoon. I rewatched Platoon for the first time in many, many years. Oliver Stone's Platoon. That's that's just an incredible piece of work. Like, I to be honest, it was like watching a new film because I hadn't seen it for for so many years. Um, it's visceral. It's just a constant. It's basically a constant war scene, essentially, but just incredibly well directed. William Defoe's everyone's great in it. It's just just a really, really well put together film that um, just really, really drives home uh, the horrors of war without a shadow of a doubt. So it was a pleasure to catch up with Platoon for sure. Um, and the last one I guess I wanted to bring up was a film that I talk about a lot, but I finally watched it. I've now got, uh, for anyone that's interested, I've now got 11 speakers in my front room and we were talking about sound systems. Uh, and I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a Dolby Atmos soundtrack on 11 speakers. Fuck me, it was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and, and now you're being evicted from your building. And now I'm being evicted from my house forever, yeah. But yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a film that I think I've talked about every in every popcorn movie when I've watched it, just, for me, an almost peerless horror film, one of the most disturbing horror films I've seen. It does so much with so little. The dinner scene, especially towards the end of the film, is, for me, one of the all-time great horror scenes. The sound design is just exceptional. And as I said, on that many speakers, it is even more terrifying. So yeah, one of my... Certainly one of 
my top five films of all time, I think, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So a delight to revisit that. So yeah, that's uh, that's me. That was brief. Come on, I've done well there, Pete. Paul, can I can I uh, elevenary few on uh, watching Texas Chainsaw with eleven speakers? You can, yeah. I don't know if I told you this before, but I uh, on one Halloween, I think it was, watched Texas Chainsaw on the roof of a high rise building, and it was it was a special a special experience <laughs> in the middle of the night, complete darkness, and on the top of essentially a skyscraper memorable although the sound quality would have been decidedly tinny coming out of a laptop <laughs> rather than 11 high quality speakers so you know win some lose some i guess didn't we we also watched it in the basement of a pub didn't we as we well did in indeed Chelsea. yes yeah. <laughs> and that was fun uh who's up next all right i'll go um i think i've been on a bit of a hot horror kick lately actually so um the platform the spanish film or el hoya uh, which everyone's been screaming about, saying it's really fantastic and awesome and stuff. That's a Netflix film, and um, it's fine. It's it's beautifully shot. It's well acted. Um, suffers from the terrible Hollywood uh, Hollywood cliche. Even though it's not a Hollywood film of horror cliche, I should say. Of the first thing the character thinks of is the last thing the character does in the movie, and you're just like, really. And it, it, it was really disappointing in that respect. Um, it's kind of been compared to The Cell um, in, in the regard that you're in a confined space and you're telling the story in that space and you're talking about, you've got social commentary. Um, but quite frankly, it was really quite, quite ham-fisted. And C- can I be that guy? Do you mean, do you mean yeah. Cube? Cube, yes. Yeah, because the cells that Jennifer Lopez one, which goes really weird yeah, and a guy's on meat film. hooks yeah, and stuff. Not yeah. the cell, though. I was thinking about something else, but no, yeah, yeah, Cube. And there's also another one which is like um, Cube, which is uh, Circle or The Circle, which is a bunch of people standing around in a circle on dots, and every 30 minutes they get offed and they have to decide which one's going to get offed. And it's actually fucking great. It's a really good story, um, and it's it's got a good ending. I'm not going to say what kind of ending it is because I'll spoil it. And that is actually on Netflix as well, so that's great. Um, I saw The Farewell again, which is not a horror film. The Chinese film, which I just think is just wonderful. I had to sort of clear my palate out a little bit. I saw it again, laughed again. I'm, I've got a bit it's of a brilliant. crush on it. Is absolutely Quite brilliant. frankly, yeah. I think she's hilarious. Uh, she's also on Future Man as well. She's, a, she's, she's great whenever she pops up and stuff. And then... I watched The Farewell because I was being kept up because I was watching, I watched The Bay, Barry Levinson's 2012 film, The Bay, uh, which deals with a contagion, which is uh, technically little isopods, little creatures that live inside fish that sort of eat them from the way out. They've migrated their way north to the Atlantic Ocean, to Chesapeake Bay area, which is a polluted, disgusting mess of, of an area. And these things are grown to exponentially. The, the life cycle is, is grown to hours instead of days or, or weeks. And they, they jump hosts. They go, jump from fish to humans. And it's like a zombie movie and a contagion movie. And it's horrific and kept me up, but in a good way. And I forgot how scary it is. I'm not a big fan of or cockroaches or insects, and that just pushed every single one of my buttons. Have you, uh, Zig? Have you seen Aquafina rap? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so good, yeah. like pockies and stuff. Yeah. yeah, look it up if people haven't seen that stuff because it's good. I think she's kind of backburnered her rap career for the time being, but who knows? And she takes the Mickey out of herself. She says she sounds like a, a forty, like a fifty-seven-year-old Jewish lawyer. 
and it's like yeah what's not to love about that woman she's got great comic not yeah. coming and in the farewell she's just she's perfect she's perfect in that role she's a really good actress yeah, in, yeah it's a really good yeah. performance in the she's best thing in oceans 7 11 13 it is a brilliant whatever. film <laughs> oh yeah. my god that film was awful <laughs> Eight Oceans Eight was it Oceans uh, Eight? I think it was Oceans Eight. Yeah, <laughs> the new Jumanji film. She's really? quite good in as yes, well, incidentally. Wow. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Is she in the new Jumanji film? I didn't realise that. Okay, I didn't realise that. I've not caught up with that yet. Uh, James, do you want to jump in next? Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a, a compulsive buyer of DVDs and Blu-rays. I tend to just buy stuff and never end up watching it because uh, time's always an issue. But yeah, I've picked three films from the 1970s decade. Um, I'm a big fan of American cinema in the 70s. Um, the first film, which I've, I've never seen, and kind of a, a film that's a little bit goes under the radar these days, is called Night Moves. I don't know if any of you have come across I've this I've heard film. of Night Moves. I, I've, read, I've read some good things about Night Moves, but I can't say I've seen it. So, so yeah, it's an Arthur Penn film who made um, famous for... Uh, directing Bonnie and Clyde. Gene Hackman plays a, a private eye and he's asked by a washed up, has been uh, actress to find a wayward daughter who's gone missing. Um, so he's paid money to try and hunt her down. Uh, he manages to find the girl and kind of gets involved in, in other things that, that go on within the plot line. But it stars Melanie Griffiths as the, the daughter that's gone missing and she's around 16. Uh, at the time the film was made. And there's a little cameo role from James Woods as well. He must be in his early 20s. And Gene Hackman, as always, is is excellent as the, the main protagonist. And it's just a, a good film from that decade, worth checking out by a, a director who kind of is, goes under a little bit under the radar now, Arthur Penn. He did some, some good films, Little Big Man, did a really good film with Brando and Robert Redford called The Chase. The The other film from the 70s, which I've never, ever seen, was um, Network. So I watched this oh, a Network's couple of brilliant. nights Network ago. is great, yeah. Uh, another great director, Sidney Lumet. And I, I thought this was just an entertaining, very well scripted. I'd imagine when it came out at the time, it almost seemed absurd, this plot line of a, a news anchorman saying that he's going to commit suicide live on air uh, because he's being fired from the job due to his ratings. Uh, probably at the time it was released, this seemed absurd, but I think today with the way media manipulation, media control, and in, in today's climate, this film seems more and more relevant than ever. And I thought it was quite a, a good choice considering what's going on economically and politically at the moment and I just thought the cast all of them were excellent um, Faye Dunaway the late Peter Finch who both won Oscars for their performances and I've always loved William Dafoe I think he's a, a great old old Hollywood actor and, and Robert Javol as well highly recommended really enjoyed it uh, brilliant film the whole um the whole suicide on air as a result of the pressures of the job thing happened with that Christ I forget her surname, Christine, because there was the movie with Rebecca Hall called Christine and there was another one called Kate Plays Christine, which are both about that same true story of, of like a terrible consequence of, of work pressure and life pressure and that kind of thing coming to 
coming to a horrible uh, conclusion. So yeah, I've, I've made things really dark, but those are movies that are worth checking out as well. And the last one, another film from the 70s. I'm a big fan of um, Malcolm McDowell, which I think I mentioned on one of your other podcasts. And he went through a phase in the, the 1970s where you couldn't make a, a bad film. And he, he made some, some really good films, some good performances. But I'd never seen Time After Time, um, the film he did um, about H.G. Wells uh, going forward in time in a, a time machine he built to stop um, Jack the Ripper. Great film. Played that by David bonkers. Warner. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a really interesting um, storyline. And there's kind of a, a love story that goes on kind of in the middle, middle section of the film where he meets up with um, the actress Mary Steenburgen, who he ended up marrying in, in real life. It's, it's a good little film. Um, my only criticisms is I'm not entirely sure if this film is it's a 15 certificated film but for me part of it, it almost feels a little bit like a, a family movie I could see Steven Spielberg directing this kind of film and I'm not sure if there's enough of this kind of rivalry between H.G. Wells and, and Jack the Ripper in the second half it plays more on the, the love story and for me that didn't work so well but it's worth seeing for some of the really incredible set design the costumes as well and and actually seeing Malcolm McDowell playing a good guy instead of the usual kind of villain that he was kind of well known and was very good at playing so yeah time after time that's directed by Nicholas Meyer the, the guy who arguably made the best Star Trek movie too Rather that's Khan. not arguable yeah. that's fact so it's a great it's a great <laughs> film I like motion picture as well. No one likes motion picture. That is just flagrantly untrue. <laughs> no, no. There's a whole bunch of us that really love it. Well, we'll get you. We'll do a star. We'll do a Star Trek episode. <laughs> we'll do a Star Trek episode, Zig, and we'll get into well. that. <laughs> Pete, what have you got for us? I love the motion picture. <laughs> Cool. Uh, I've got a number, but I'll bang them out really quickly and then just focus on maybe one or two for a second because I want to see if other people have seen them. So uh, I saw the Ronda Rousey documentary that's doing the rounds on Netflix at the moment. It couldn't be worse made, I would say, that documentary. So the the story deserves a great deal better. Although Ronda Rousey is essentially, you know, given the finger to a large portion of her fan base, she still deserves a better telling of what is a really interesting life story. And the film is just cack-handed. And like, what's worse is the guy making the film seems to be unable uh, unable to stop himself making sort of creepy kind of come on comments to Ronda Rousey during the making of the, the movie as well as do some other people they keep talking about her young body and her beautiful face and it's all weird uh, yeah I, I'm interested in the story it should have been told a lot better and hopefully will be in the future I watched Contagion like everybody has recently and uh, I've seen it before the only thing I've got to say about that is I never ever in my life want to hear Jude Law say the word blogosphere because, uh, again, after this. And who are the 12 yeah, million people? He's definitely the weak link in that film. I, he's the, I to be fair, he's, uh, he's the weak link, as far as I'm concerned. And what's his accent? He's the weak link in every what's film. What's his accent? He's Australian. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. He's, he's, good in, he's good in side effects, which is another Soderbergh film. Yeah, he's. 
he is all right in in side effects. I don't really buy him as a medical professional, but he is. I think he's good in that. Yeah, that movie pissed me <laughs> off, but that's a story for another time. Uh, then I saw Love Wedding Repeat, which is currently on Netflix. Um, it's a kind of throwaway uh, romantic comedy based around a kind of Groundhog Day idea, where all the people are positioned at a table at a wedding, and one of the drinks is spiked, and then the film rewinds the sequence to see what would happen depending on whose drink is spiked and how that plays out. Um, we've got some decent performances and chief among them is Tim Key. If Tim Key's in a thing, even if it's not very good, it's relatively good. So I enjoyed it enough. Three stars. Um, I watched, rewatched The oh, Ritual, wow. which I feel is underseen, underrated, really great. I loved it. The second or third time round this time, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, some of the transitions they do in that movie between the guy in the forest but then in the convenience store, but then back in the forest. Just beautiful stuff. The kind of uh, kneel down in front of the statue and piss your pants stuff just like really messed me up in quite a profound way when I went to the cinema. So that's praise praise indeed. I think. Yeah, dude, I'm with you on that one. I think The Ritual was a great film. I think it was really, really, un- yeah, totally with you. Under, underseen and underrated yeah. for sure. I thought it was a very yeah, effective it was, piece of work. It was a, a real um, surprise as well. I didn't really have any expectations when I first went to see it at the cinema. So uh, it's really good. Um, I saw what else? First Furlough, uh, which has also got another name uh, on Netflix. It's called something like Time Off or Time Out, maybe. Time Out. It is the least interesting thing Tessa Thompson will ever do. Um, it's also got Mel- Melissa Leo in it from <laughs> Homicide Life on the Street, who I really like. You put them together, you think you'd get something. You don't get much. It's like a prisoner day release buddy-ish comedy thing that doesn't work and isn't funny. Have they renamed it Furlough to cash in on the fact that people are furloughed? I don't know, man. It's just got two... It's one of those where you know it's shit because it's got two titles. Like, they couldn't decide on one. Um, So, yeah, maybe avoid that one. I watched um, Aguirre Wrath of God for the first time in, like, a long time. Um, Actually, from the box set that you bought me a few years ago, Paul, as it goes. And um, that's got just one of the best openings and one of the best closings or endings in, in sort of anything of that period. Oh, um, no, has everyone seen enough. that? Yes. The Werner Herzog thing. It's one that um, is, I think, uh, anyway, is sort of owed a bit of a debt of gratitude when it comes to watching something like Apocalypse Now in terms of, you know, people go into hellish, uh, downward spiral in the jungle, nature is cruel, you know, man can be crueler and that kind of thematic stuff. So, yeah, really, really good. Actually, yeah, uh, Monos, but- Monos owes a debt of gratitude to that as well, actually. I've not thought of that mm. link until you just brought it up. So, yeah, for sure. And I think it was one of the films that I most egregiously mispronounced on the show as well, which you picked me up on at the time. So, <laughs> um, And then, uh, oh, I, it's niche. Fittest in Dubai is the latest CrossFit documentary that they now throw out on Netflix. If you want to feel motivated to do your one run a day or whatever, watch that because it will get you going. But the one thing that I wanted to like tag a little bit is I saw the new Trey Edward Schultz movie, Waves. Has anyone caught up with this yet? No, not yet. So like It Comes at Night and uh, Kreisha, that guy, that, that director... Um, it's a story of uh, an athlete, a black athlete under a lot of pressure at high school, played by, uh, what is he called? Kel- Kelvin Harrison Jr., the same guy who played a black athlete under a lot of pressure at high school in Loose, which came out, what, four months ago or six months ago or something. But um, I would say about Waves, and maybe we'll cycle back to it, Paul, at some point in the future on the show. I'm not sure about Trey Edward Schultz 
I'm not sure. I, I think that I liked uh, It Comes at Night maybe a little bit more than you did, Paul, when we did that review. No, I really liked It Comes at Night. I was a big fan. Oh, okay. Big okay. Well, as yeah. of Creature, I didn't know he directed Creature until he just mentioned that. I really remember really liking Creature as well, to be fair. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just not up, sure. But... Trevor Schultz does an awful lot. He does a lot of kind of camera spinning. He does an awful lot of really heavily leaning on his soundtrack. And you recognize stuff. And you're like, do I like the movie or do I like animal collective or kendrick lamar or whatever it is that you've soundtracked this with in a really cool way you know i i get with that stuff but the thing that that kind of stuck with me and i wanted to bring up on the show because of paul what you're into and maybe the others can chime in too but have you ever had that experience where you hear a song on a soundtrack and you're kind of moved by it but you realize that it's not the movie as much as it is the piece of music yeah absolutely yeah. like a recognizable song on a on a yeah, because in this case, he uses the Radiohead track True Love Waits towards the conclusion of the film. Can't I have. Have you ever read the lyrics to that song? No. Despite having the band tattooed on my you arm. You know I've the thing I'm talking about, though, right? <laughs> there, there, there's a line in that song which says, uh, True Love Waits in Haunted Attics, True Love Waits on Lollipops and Crisps. And apparently, Tom York has said that. He wrote the line after reading a story about a young boy abandoned by his parents who only survived because he had lollipops and crisps Jeez. to eat, to get through when he was left completely defenseless <laughs> on his own. And hearing that line in the movie was a devastator. But I don't think Trey Edward Schultz did that. I think Tom York did that. So I'd love to hear people's thoughts maybe at a later date on that movie and, and what you think of that guy. But that is me done for popcorn movies. Well, that's what I've been living on for the last three weeks. So uh, hopefully I've got a chance. <laughs> true love true love waits for the end of uh, the lockdown, I guess, in this, in this case. Cool. Well, if we're all wrapped up on popcorn movies, we'll take a little break and we'll come back and do our first ever and inaugural yeah. Strangers in a Cinema quiz right after this. And we are back. Here it is. You've been waiting with bated breath for what kind of a mess this is going to be. Uh, it is going to be a quiz involving three contestants. Those are, of course, uh, Paul Anderson, Zig Bingham and James Ewan. I will be the host of said quiz. The contestants, you guys, are able to call your name when you think you know an answer. If you get it right, you win a point. If you get it wrong, you're out of that question and can't take any further guesses. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. nervous. But yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> cool. I'll try and keep a running score, but maybe tally up any points you get just as a, a way of double checking afterwards. Oh, okay. I will, Pete. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so we begin with round one. Round one has been ingeniously titled by me, The Three Must Have Appeared. <laughs> you see what I've done? Nice. So I'm going to list the three top listed actors on the IMD page for a IMDb page for a movie, starting with the least significant or maybe the lower build of those three actors. At any point as I'm listing these actors, you can buzz in by calling your name and take a guess at the film. If you get it wrong, you're out. Clear? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Clear. Question number one. Tom Wilkinson. Kate Winslet. Jim Carrey. 
James. Paul. Oh, I've heard James maybe has nosed it, has edged it there. That's James, right. what's, yeah. what are you going for? Internal sunshine of the spotless mind. And James, you and you have one shiny point. Uh-huh. <laughs> Question number two. There are six in this round, by the way. Question number two. Rupert Graves. Natalie Portman. Hugo Weaving. Paul. Yes, Paul. V for Vendetta. You have a point uh-huh. as well. Question number three. I'm going to butcher the first surname here. Uh, Joe Pantoliano. Carrie-Anne Moss. Paul. Yes, Paul. The Matrix. Is incorrect. Uh, Paul, you are out of this round. The final name, Guy Pearce. Sig. Yes, Sig. Memento. You also have a point. It's one by one. one. You see what I did there? Did you see what I did? Yeah. (laughs) You fell hook, line, and sinker, Paul. Uh, here we go with number four. Warren Oates. Sissy Spacek. Paul. Yes, Paul. Badlands. You have two points. Nice. Question number five. Dennis Hopper. Kyle McLaughlin. Paul. James. Oh, Paul. No, because he's not top build. I was going to go Blue Velvet, but I think I'm wrong now. Yeah, you're right. I need an answer. Blue Velvet. It is correct. You have three points. Then it was it, Isabella Rossellini right. was the, the top listed, according to the IMDb, just to state that's how yeah. they're, they're listed there. Um, good. And question number six. Bill Murray, Meryl Streep, George Clooney. That is the end. Anyone can take a guess. There's nothing to lose. Very little to gain. Meryl Streep and Bill Murray. I want to see this film now. Bill Murray, Meryl Streep, George Clooney. Shall I give you a hint? It's not live action. Paul. Yes, Paul. Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Oh, my word. He's got four points. Well done. (laughs) I needed the clue, to be fair, so... Okay, we had, I think, a relatively successful round one, although Paul's cleaning up at the moment, but there are still plenty of points to play for as we move into round number. I can't win this. It'll look <laughs> round number two. Yeah, I haven't shared any of these questions before the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote them. It's fine. Round number two is entitled, Whose Tagline Is It Anyway? Props to Doug Benson. I've stolen that from Doug Loves Movies. Whose tagline is it anyway? I give you a tagline. All you have to do is be the first contestant to name the movie that had said tagline. Is it clear? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Question number one. She is the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one survives. Paul? Yep. I sound unsure. Uh, The fifth element? Is incorrect. You're frozen out. (laughs) Any other guesses? Take a punt. Pass. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails, no one survives. It sounds like a Resident Evil thing, but I don't want to commit to it. No idea. I'm going to have to give the answer. It is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. I've never known that. It's not a very good tagline, to be fair. (laughs) Question number two. They perform for royalty and entertain millions around the world. But now they're making a movie. I've slightly misread the tagline, so I'll read it again. They perform for royalty and entertain millions the world over, but now they're making a movie. James. Paul. Or oh, James, you James. can go first on this one. Stupid answer. I'm going to say The Simpsons movie. It's not a bad guess, but it's incorrect. Paul. Yes, Paul. Is it Spice World? Oh, my word. Wow. Oh, have you got that? <laughs> <laughs> it is wow. Spice World. 
I lose, po- I lose a point for the shame, I guess. But, yeah. So we're currently 5-1-1, I think, in the quiz. Uh, question number three. Play it. Live it. Kill for it. Paul. Yes, Paul. Existence. What is happening? Wow. Is that really right? It is correct. Jesus. Wow. You can tell that we've been doing this show for too long, where like the stuff yeah. I've decided to ask questions on, you've got all the answers. Uh, okay, it is Existence, the Cronenberg movie. Uh, number four, simply get wild. The whole tagline, get wild. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you a hint. I think we're all a relatively similar age. I'm going to say a movie that you very much would have appreciated as a teenage boy, but probably wouldn't waste your time with now. Oh! Paul? Yeah. Road Trip? It's not Road Trip. Yes. Sig. Wild Things. It is Wild Things. Up to two points. Great work. Question number five. The tagline. The saga is complete. James. Oh, Paul was in first. What have you got, Paul? Is it Rise of Skywalker? It is not. But you're not far off. Back to the Future 3. It's not Back to the Future 3. Zig, you got a free hit on this one. And if I get it wrong... No, it doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, our Return of the Sith. Revenge it of the Sith. It is Revenge of the Sith. Oh, well played. Nice oh, I work. I lost that Star Wars question. God damn it. Up to three points. <laughs> it's ironic because the saga wasn't over. Will it ever be? <laughs> it's dead to me. So yeah, it is. Question number six. The last one in the round two. In 1977, sex was safe, pleasure was a business, and business was booming. James. Yes, James. Boogie Nights. It is Boogie Nights. Not out of the game. So at the end of round two, James has got two. Zig, you're on three. I'm on three in total, yeah. Three in total. Paul, you're on six? Six. 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 Okay, six, three, two. As we go into round three. Round three was given its title by my wife so she can take the shame for it uh, it's a reference to blink 182 round three is called what's my age again all that's going to happen on this round a little bit like the price is right you get to take a guess at the age of a celebrity an actor or actress you can guess any age but you can't be even a year over the actual age if you're over zero the closest person wins otherwise First one, so I'll take answers off everyone. First one is James Franco. At the time the show goes out, what is the age of the actor James Franco without Googling anything? Uh, I'll start with James Ewan. What is your answer? Say 41. 41. Uh, Zig, what have you got for James Franco? 45. And Paul for James Franco, what's your age? 38. That means we have a winner, James Ewan, with 41. You are the closest. James Franco is 42. Nice. Good work. You win a point. Second on my list, what's my age again if we're talking about Andy Serkis? Uh, Paul, do you want to go first this time? 53. Zig, what have you got? 50. And James? 55, I'll go for. Ewan is smashing it on this round. He is 56 (laughs) years of age. That is another point, just one year out. (laughs) Then we have Andy McDowell, her of Ready or Not, or... Four weddings and a funeral for the older members of the audience. Uh, Andy McDowell. Uh, we'll start this time with Zig. How old is Andy McDowell? 57. James, Andy McDowell? I'm going to go 61. And Paul Anderson, Andy McDowell? 
59. James Ewan is some kind of savant when it comes to ages. <laughs> Annie McDowell is 62 and wow. is just celebrating her birthday now. Do you know what? I'm ashamed to admit this. I looked her up on IMDb the other day because I think I bought Shortcuts, the Altman film. I think she's in that. And I was shocked that she was in her 60s. So, so, so I think now, James, you're up to five in total. Paul Anderson has only a one-point lead on six at this moment. It's tense. Uh, number four is a bit of a tricky one, maybe. Maria Bello, maybe best known for the history of violence. Maria Bello. Uh, we'll start with James. How old is the actress Maria Bello? 36. Paul? 49. Zig? 45. Paul Anderson, you've stretched your lead to two points. She Ooh. is 53. 53, Jesus. Yeah, time flies, wow. man. I swear she was about 35, <laughs> yeah. like 10 minutes ago. Uh, number five everybody should know this to the day the month uh, i would imagine it is edgar wright paul anderson how old is edgar wright 43 zig edgar wright 44 and james 45 oh it's tactical it's getting it's getting tactical (laughs) edgar wright's just turned 46 that means james ewan gets the point and pulls it back to just one point and the last one for what's my age again is the actress rooney mara Zig, how old is Rooney Mara? Uh, 43. And James Ewan, Rooney Mara? 42. Paul Anderson, Rooney Mara? 38. All of you have received zero points, oh. and Rooney Mara is going to be writing to you with a strongly worded <laughs> email at some point. She is just 35 years of age, and she doesn't look a day over 25. Wow. <laughs> so at the end of that round, Paul, what's your tally at the moment? I have seven. James, I think then you've got five? Six, I think. Six. Six, of course, you pulled it back. Yeah, Six. one point in it, yeah. And Zig, you're on three. three. Still... All to play for. So, uh, Zig, you've got three. The leader at the moment, Paul, is on seven. Therefore, I'm going to make this question worth five points. (laughs) I've stolen that off hypothetical. Thanks to the people who made that up. Um, Okay, this one is called simply, Who Am I? And it may decide, probably looks like it will decide the quiz. Who am I? So I'm going to list a, a series of facts about someone from the world of film. And the first person to buzz in by saying their name and guess correctly the identity of that person wins five delicious points. If you buzz in and you're wrong, then you're out of the rest of the clues. This is as tense as you can get. Is there many of these? Is it one of these questions or is this? There's one question, Paul. Right. It is all on the table here. Okay. Who am I? I was born on July 24th, 1969. Fact two. I've been married and divorced three times. Three. I made my amateur film debut in a film called My Little Girl in 1986. If that clinched it for anyone, then, you know, you would have to take your hat off to whoever knows this person's (laughs) amateur film career. Uh, Oh, you could almost say I didn't need to put that in there. Number four. I performed as a backup dancer for New Kids on the Block in 1991. Ah, oh, sick. Jennifer Lopez. Five points in the most well dramatic done. fashion. Yes, well done. From the jaws of defeat, he raises his arms it. in victory. Well what, what a performance wow. on the last question. Yeah, we had loads more to get through. We have, uh, in 1995, I had my first starring role alongside Wesley Snipes. What was the film? I can't tell you that. Money I Train. I just know it from Money Train. A solid gold oh. classic yeah, from train. the mid-90s. <laughs> Money Train. Would he have, would he have uh, some, wouldn't it? 
uh, I, I'm, a, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, just going to force this one out because I didn't get to say it in the actual round. Vanity Fair have described my buttocks as in and of themselves a cultural <laughs> icon. Uh, I enjoyed and that. And I would agree. They should erect, erect a statue to her. Exactly right. Uh, in addition to acting, I've sold over 70 million records. And then the last one was going to give it away. Uh, I exec produced and starred in a movie in 2019 about strippers. It is Jennifer Lopez. Zig, that means you are today's champion of the inaugural Strangers in a Cinema quiz. <laughs> with, a, wow. with a towering total of eight points. Paul Anderson way behind with a measly seven. <laughs> and bringing up the rear, James <laughs> Ewan. Uh, just a point off that, actually. Everyone bunched up and separated by single points. Wow. What a day to be alive. I don't know how we round out this bit, guys, but I enjoyed that. that I don't fun. know. I think we round out by saying that we're going to do this quiz again. I think I think, well, I think. next time we do it, we've been off the chat, we've been off popcorn movies, we just do a fucking quiz. It'll be a sister <laughs> podcast. We'll just do a quiz in between episodes, perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Oh, although, yeah. Uh, this is the point of the show where we do credits and we sort of recommend something to people that may not even be film-related, yeah. but... Yeah, let's do it I, I'm sure, not yeah. speaking on anyone's... Sort of trying to speak on anyone's behalf, but James, I believe that talking of quizzes, you've actually launched a quiz, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a quiz every uh, Friday night on uh, a YouTube channel... Uh, for the uh, community cinema in the village, LA Cinema. So yeah, it's um, LA Community Cinema is the channel, and it's half eight every Friday. Fifty questions. That's cool. Uh, Long wow, Ashton rather than Los Angeles, right? In the case of uh, yeah, yes, indeed. Nice. Yeah. There's similarities. There's definitely similarities. Very, very the two similar. Places, so yeah, absolutely. And and at this time when everyone's on lockdown, I mean, look how well the Jimmy Carr quiz thing has done. I mean, you know, the more the merrier. I think in terms of good content and quizzing that you can do from the comfort of your so own how, home. James, how does it work then? Do you just log into the YouTube channel and then submit your answers that way? Do, how does it work? T tell us more. Well, initially we, we did it via Facebook. Um, and we decided to, to set up a YouTube channel, try and make it a little bit more, bit more accessible. Um, we don't get people to submit the answers. What I do is just read them back at the end, basically. Yeah. Nice. Get on nice. it. Nice. I'm, I'm going to try and get involved, I think. Yeah. I'm going to try and get involved. That's a lot sure. of questions as well. How long, how long does does it normally take? It normally takes about an hour and a half. Wow, okay. You're going through them like fast. Yeah, normally, yeah, wow. normally about 90 minutes. That's a good run. And that's, where's that Long Ashton YouTube channel, is it? Yeah, Long if, Ashton you, Cinema if you search up LA Community Cinema. Nice. Well, James, I... I'm keen to get involved, but if I see a new round cropping up called the Three Mustard, <laughs> then my legal yeah. people are going to be in touch. So, uh, Zig, watch I've got to be careful. Uh, Zig, throw out throw out some credit to Babylon Undead for us. Tell us a bit more about Babylon Undead. People, regular listeners of the show know you talked about it a bit before, but tell tell newer listeners what you do. Uh, it's a little film channel where I talk about films that are a little bit sort of left of field, uh, weird and unusual films. It's a bit. It's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment because I've been applying for college. But I will get back to it. Uh, if you do need a bit of a zig injection, irreverent, mostly spoiler-free reviews, go to my YouTube channel or go to Diary of Short Disturbances, which is my personal blog, which has everything on it, including Babylon Undead. So anything I do that's of note and a lot of stuff that probably isn't of note ends up on Diary of Short Disturbances. That's one word, dot blog. And you'll find everything there. I watched your... Um... I watched your Holy Motors uh, video again the other day. That's one of my favourites because I love that film. That's, that's a really, I love that. Just yeah. 
how it was cut yeah if you haven't checked out babylon and dead then you absolutely should obviously we're a little bit biased because he's come on the show and if he came on the show and we said it was bad he would never come on again but it's it's really no, good no i want uh, i, I, I really enjoyed babylon I'll, and I'll dead so back. yeah no, definitely yeah <laughs> all good all good yeah you've got to defend your strap now that you've won the uh the wi- i tell you what quiz. the weird one that we're really taken off at the moment which i do not understand is it's a good film is tell no one neil adisa person which is one of my favorite films and i it, it's not my best edited, I think, the last one, um, Holy Motors is, because I was really hitting my stride with that. But that one is going through the roof for my little channel. Um, and uh, mostly it's in Bangladesh, so I don't know. Maybe they're like somewhere in India, they're remaking Tell No One as an Indian movie or something is going mm-hmm. on. I think there's rumours that they want to get Liam Neeson before he sort of shot himself in the foot with his comments um, to do a, a remake of that movie. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, well, we've got a show that we've our most successful show is most successful in a, in a state in the US somewhere, which I can only assume we're doing a Werner Herzog module <laughs> on their film studies course uh, at the time. But yeah, our most successful show, just stratospheric numbers in, I forget which US state now, Pete, you might be able to help, but um, yeah, absolutely. All of, <laughs> all of them Paul we're massive in America stop downplaying the podcast it makes us sound unimportant but yes it, it, you're right it was pretty localised I forget where where they went absolutely berserk for it it was the talk of the town that podcast episode um, I have to go in a moment Paul have you got anything else to recommend before we uh, sign uh, just before we go I've been watching The Expanse yes. uh, it's a great sci-fi show if you haven't seen it it's all on Amazon Prime check it out um, really really like that show it's it's, it's just really good um, really really good adult sci-fi and it's great so uh, yeah check that out if you haven't seen it um, aside from that probably the last thing for me to say is check us out on social media let us know if you enjoyed the quiz if you want to do another quiz Pete you got the <laughs> oh, credits for us oh, maybe I have maybe I have it's not it's not a very good one but I'm still going to throw it out there uh, a YouTube thing that's been cheering me up a lot before I, I get you know to, to watching uh, James's quiz and checking out Zig's channel and reviews as well there is a channel called uh, L does react and i'm not a big <laughs> one a proponent for for watching re- people react to shit because it's everywhere now but this is kind of lovely they let old timers play like gta 5 or like uh you know some kind of newfangled video game technology and some of the reactions are just absolutely delightful <laughs> in terms of like it, it's kind of made me think that First of all, when I'm old, I must have access to video games. And secondly, if my grandparents were around now, I would be making sure that they got their hands on like an Xbox One or a PS4 because you just see elder people coming to life again when they're in new worlds and mobile in ways that they aren't in their, you know, waking regular life. So yeah, Elders React is cool, even though it's like a really kind of mainstream and cheesily put together thing that is there just to bait you into supporting a fairly cynical operation, I'm sure. (laughs) I enjoyed it. It's nice. Check it out. But yeah, Paul, other than that, social media and stuff, right? Yeah, so social media and stuff. Find us on at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Stranger Cinema on Instagram, uh, Stranger Cinema on Facebook. Stranger, basically, if you plug in Stranger Cinema to some kind of social media device, we're probably on it. Um, so give us a check, give check us out. Let us know what you thought of the quiz. Um, it's the first time we've done something like this. Uh, also check out Long Ashton Community Cinema and Babylon Undead. You'd be foolish not to. Um, and thank you guys for coming on. It's been great to have you on. So uh, yeah, hope to no, welcome you back so soon. Thank, thank you. you. Great fun. Oh, good. In which case, all that remains to be said is goodbye. 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 Shut up and sit down.